Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, listeners. I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out MagicalMysteryCamp.com slash HelpingFriendly to learn more. Hello. This is the Helping Friendly Podcast. I'm here. My name's RJ. I'm here to make my co-host laugh. Which I almost did that time. Jonathan, Brian, how you guys doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. Happy Monday. Or Tuesday or whatever day that everybody hears this. <laughs> <laughs> Happy whatever day it is. Happy day of the week. How you guys doing? Good. Um, guys, we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to go back in time a little bit and, and talk about a fall tour show that happened in the past. But um, first, we should say that we have a bunch of cool stuff coming up. And um, thanks to our partners at Shift Genuine Cannabis for helping us put this show out there we have a show a live show coming up this saturday if you're going to the san francisco show at the chase center brian and i and our friend benji and a special guest will be set up right outside of the venue entrance at four o'clock local time and we are gonna 
have a live event and we would love to see you there. We'll take questions and would love to meet you and maybe give you some stickers and other things. Um, that's all happening this weekend. Do you guys know why that's happening? Wait, that's this weekend? Yeah, yeah. I really got to get better at calendars. <laughs> and you know why it's happening? It's because Fish is going back on tour starting on Friday in Sacramento, according to the calendar that I've seen. Is that the right one, Brian? I think I checked the same calendar. I think that they're playing on Friday and they're playing in Sacramento for, I think this is the first time since 1996, 11-30-96. I may be off by a year or six there, but I think that that's right. And that was, if it's the, if that is the last time they played in Sacramento, that is an amazing second second that I recommend anyone out there listening to. Peter Affelbaum comes up and uh, there's a gorgeous version of Taste and uh, Amazing Grace. So hopefully this tour opener show will be just as quality i mean given how much they've been how much trey's been playing i mean it's got to be it's got to be they, they, Trey, they're gonna Trey's come been out. lounging around i mean he hasn't he's been he's been on a beach somewhere he's I think, just been right? relaxing on the beach yeah just i mean this is going to be for like weeks it's going to be amazing jonathan what do you do you expect there to be like a couple shows worth of kind of tuning up or do you think they're going to come out firing no, I, I expect they'll tune up before they get on stage, um, you know, where the technicians will do it for like the pianos or whatever, and then um, and then they'll come Dad out. Jokes. And, uh, yeah. Uh, the, no, I actually I think they're probably going to hit the ground running more or less. So uh, I'm excited to hear what 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 is to come. Yeah, we try not to go into this with expectations, right? But my expectation of summer was that there was going to be a lot of tuning up, and there was relatively little tuning up. So. I think I'd be surprised if they took a step back and decided to kind of like toy around with a few things for, for a couple of shows before figuring out where they were going. But I think none of us have any idea about what Halloween impacts where they're going to play or what they're going to play and how they're going to sound. So that may affect the sound in a way that we can't really predict right now. But kind of to your point, Jonathan, based on summer, based on the tab tour, I think it would be fair to assume that we'll hear some really good music out the gates. Do you think they don't have to tune up because Trey now has that snark tuner on his headstock full time, so he's always tuned up? Sorry. I've never seen him tune on stage aside from Pebbles and Marbles, so I just assume that his guitar comes fully tuned. I'll stop. (laughs) (laughs) Just to wrap up what I was saying, Saturday afternoon, 4 o'clock local time, (laughs) come find us outside of the venue. Uh, We'll we'll send out more information about it in the meantime. This is our We'll have a conversation. This is it. Yeah, exactly. And then I and then um, we have two other events. We have on the 30th of October at the Brooklyn Bowl in Las Vegas, we will be doing a live uh, recording at one o'clock local time. And then on the 31st, we'll be doing the same thing. So we have three live shows coming up, uh, Vegas and San Francisco. So if you guys are at those shows, come find us and say hi. I will not be spoiling, uh, I think, two out of three of those with dad jokes. So <laughs> I think get a variety of options. We'll call you in. We'll call you in for that. <laughs> um, so, guys, we have, uh, we've talked a lot about 2021 Fish, and we've talked a lot about 2021 Tab, actually. We've talked a lot about the music that's happening now. And, Jonathan, you suggested that maybe we go back to this show that I believe you may, you may have attended. I did not attend this. Ah, show. shit. Uh, well, you should have. My, I should have actually. Um, my good friend Joel did, and he came back with his head rearranged. So there's that. Um, 
But I, I attended my first show 19 days earlier. Okay, right. So, yeah. yeah. Which we've talked about on this podcast in the past. Yes. We did. Um, Jonathan, what, tell us the show that we're discussing. Can you? Can you do that? Uh, yeah. It's uh, October 27th, 1994, University Hall at the University of Virginia in Charlottesville, Virginia. This is a and, great, it's a great one and a great tour. Um, I think people probably know it, and if you don't, why not? You will after this. About that, Brian. We've we we threw around a bunch of fall tour um, years and shows. I mean, there's there's hundreds and hundreds to choose from. Um, what do you think about the fall '94 and how this fits in after you kind of went back and and re-listened to it um, before we kind of get into the specifics of the show? I think fall '94 is. I mean, there's a lot of superlatives you could, you could throw at it, especially post Halloween. But I think that, um, you hear the band, especially in October, kind of hanging out in what had gotten them to this point in time, thinking of like 1992 and 1993, where they would kind of dip their toes into, uh, experimentation within the show, but the show itself was still a highly structured event. In a lot of cases, you would get usually a Fishman song, you'd get some bluegrass, you'd get either a tweezer or a mic, you'd get a hood or a, you enjoy myself. Um, this show starts to feel like the band is breaking from that. And this run up to Halloween Boone, Charlottesville and Spartanburg all in particular feel like the band is starting to figure out what can we do structurally within a show to break out of kind of the confines of whatever we've done over the last few years, which all of which has been fantastic. And it almost feels as though they're going to enter Glens Falls, play the white album, walk out of there, a completely different band, having accomplished something that they probably never even considered possible 11 years earlier. And two nights later, they're going to play a massive 30-minute version of Tweezer that's going to lead to this huge phase of experimentation over the next eight to 12 months, If you know, depending on where you want to kind of end that experimentation, probably December 31st, 1995. So all that said, like this feels like we are just about to step through that door, but we're still in a really pure and fascinating era of fish. What say you guys? I think that's pretty well covered. I mean, yeah, they're they're really teetering on the precipice here. You know, it's um, they've got they've got the material, they've got the chops, they've got the will, and they just have to step through. You know, um, it's nice though. You know, in this era, we get a lot of, and in this show, we get a lot of game hinge songs. We get narrations. We get we get jams. But as you say, they're not the massive tweezer yet um but yeah i mean this band is they're 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 on fire they're playing really strong rj do you like this show yeah it was fun to go back to this would be a good candidate for an official release you know if there's any yes. fall 94 options out there um it just it also reminded me that this was kind of the last tour where they really were playing college theaters and venues like this right like starting yeah summer 95 it was like totally changed so i don't know there there was definitely something happening with with the audience as well you know what i mean yeah i mean they played some college halls and stuff after this but it was like penn state you know it was the big ones yeah um, yeah and 
it's also interesting that structurally on the tour, if you look at where they're at right now, they're coming up the East Coast and they are about to play Glens Falls to close out the month. And then they'll do a few shows in Maine, Massachusetts, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania. But from there, starting on the 14th of November, this whole tour moves out West. And I wonder in a sense, you know, if you think about the difference between fall 94 and fall 95, fall 94 starts on the East coast. They really kind of ramp up on the East coast before moving out West to unfamiliar crowds into a place where they're now going to play these kind of wide open, expansive jams that have nothing to do in a lot of ways with what had been successfully what had successfully gotten them to where they are today. Whereas a year later, they're going to start out West. They're going to play kind of some jamming, but like, you know, overall, a lot of the October 95 shows tend to toe the line in the way that October 94 shows did, but then they're going to come back home and they're going to spend basically a month touring around the Northeast and playing some of their highest quality music ever. And so I, I think in a sense of this fall as being, how do we step out? How do we get out of our comfort zone before this like grand return that will happen a year later? This is a pretty cool time. This is, I think, maybe the peak of my tape collecting experience too, at least in in memory. Like this is when I was getting like a lot of these shows, you know, a, a month or two after they were happening, probably. And it's it brings back a lot of good memories of of this of this year. Um, Jonathan, do you want to do you want to tell us about some of your some of your highlights from the first set? Well, there's the whole thing to begin with. Um, <laughs> no, you know, I, I, I do really love every bit of it, though, I will say. But uh, I will get into some of the details. Like Wilson, without the chant, uh, opens the show. Um, Sparkle is, you know, rapid and tasty. And Maze, like I want to, this would be my first real stopping point. This yeah. is exactly what Maze ought to be, like it's you know what nine minutes long and it's just boom in your face like completely potentially disorientating and you know madness sort of music um and i i I love it i love it it just goes all over um what do you guys think about it it's really like i don't know after listening to a lot of 2021 fish like this maze is just man it's it's so intense so fast <laughs> the, the whole everything they play is just so fast there's just like a lot of really fast playing like if you if you listen to it on relisten or fish tracks or one of those things which i guess is the only way to listen um it sounds kind of like it's sped up a little bit like even yeah. the intro in in tweezer which we'll talk about like it was like wow is this like is this recording like sped up a little bit? But man, it's just everything's so fast and furious. They just play fast.
Yeah, I love how this show starts with Wilson Sparkle Maze in a sense that like it, it feels rooted in the early 90s. I, I was just looking through the set list here. I don't know how how representative this was of the month, but there's not a single hoist song in the first set, but there are four rift songs and it feels in a sense like they're really comfortable with these songs they don't feel any need compared to six months earlier to promote an album they're just playing shows again and so you're getting these really cool combinations of songs that just work in the setting wilson sparkle two huge you know bursts of energy and then may's kind of your first sense of not really jamming but like you know just kind of playing around each other and figuring out you know exactly how um just kind of how how he, how each guy is feeling that evening and you get this just like absolute raucous peak out of maze that like 20 minutes into the show you're just like at a high already and then you go into forbin's mockingbird vibrational life and you get this just like very nostalgic classic nectar's era fish right there jonathan i did i just i mentioned earlier about the, how this was a you know their their last foray playing these kind of university tours. But I think this this venue, which I think has been since knocked down, um, was like an eighty five hundred seat venue. So not a small university venue. Like that's a it's actually a pretty big crowd. I don't know if for that time that was about what they were hitting or if this was particularly big for, for that tour. But now that I look that look at that, I mean that's actually that's a pretty big crowd for fish in ninety four. Yeah, which I could remember um Wish I could remember what I learned about it after the fact, like, you know, how crowded it was. Yeah. Probably could have gone down and picked up a ticket and really should have. But um, <laughs> what are you going to do? Um, the, yeah, I want to talk about this uh, Forbin Mockingbird or mostly yeah. the vibration of life. I love Trey's talking about the phase switch on his guitar as being able to reverse the phase. Yeah. Uh, and send us hurtling into Gamehenge and all of that. It's just so fun. It's just so fun. I love it. Um, this is uh, this is the stuff that convinced me that this was a band for me. Um, even though we don't really get this stuff anymore, it's still a band for me. But this is how I knew I could connect with these people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's the right mix of like weird and weird and amazing playing and just like bizarre shit happening, but also just grounding in these like really well-played songs. So, yeah. I think that was the, when I mentioned earlier, just collecting tapes. It's like, that's what I was, that's what I was learning was like, yeah, this band is, is pretty cool for all those reasons. Well, I wanted to just pause really quick and just like agree with you, uh, because I love the vibration <laughs> of life so much. I, my, my first tape was recorded, I think like three weeks after this, 11, 17, 94. And at, at the time, all I had was the first set on tape. Never heard the second set until the re-listen app came along. But it has a Forbin's Vibrational Life Mockingbird in it. And I remember hearing the tape and I, and I kind of, as I'm saying this, like I feel like I would advocate that if you're going to give anyone a first tape, it doesn't matter what show it is, just give it to them Fall 94. It's like you said, RJ, there's like a perfect mix of weirdness, of a rock band that's trying to play in an arena. So there's like a ton of energy and there's always great song selections as a result. And they just had a really good rotation. But 
I didn't know it was possible to hold an audience attention with kind of fantasy narration in the middle of a rock show until I heard fish and until I heard the vibration of life and hearing it in here and having it go into divided sky the way that it does. It just, you're immediately, if, if you're intrigued in any way, you're basically forced to dive down the rabbit hole of game henge and it opens up a door that, you know, will lead to where we all are right now of talking about fish on a podcast 20 years later. So what I want to talk about is everything that you see in here is a vibration of some sort. And um, so sound is a vibration that's coming out at you. Electricity is a vibration, which is running our whole sound system here. Sound is a vibration. My strings are vibrating. The speaker cones are vibrating. The air is vibrating. Your eardrums are vibrating. And you're hearing the music. So... If you keep going up the frequency spectrum and getting higher and higher frequencies of vibration, you get light. And uh, light is a vibration. Well, of course, some people think it's particles, but um, it's all vibrations. And um, some people theorize that there's a certain vibration that is the glue that holds the whole universe together. Um, we like to think of it as sort of as the vibration of life. So we're going to start this whole thing out right here by getting the vibration of life going. This is supposed to be seven beats per second. And uh, this should make you feel charged and energetic in tune with the universe. Here it comes, starting off with the vibration of life. Had you never heard uh, Spinal Tap's uh, Stonehenge? I had not at the time, no. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, no, you're right, though. It, it is an impressive feat. And, you know, it's one thing to do story time at Nectar's, and it's another thing to be in an 8,500-seat venue, even if it's not sold out and we don't know what the attendance was here. But it um, it's, it's a challenge, I would think, to be delivering something so esoteric, so yeah. quirky, so weird but they had just done this maze and if you're uninitiated let's be honest if you don't know if you've gone to the fish show without knowing what they're going to do and you you hear this maze you're either maybe you'll hate it but you're you're very possibly going to think they were jamming or something because it's so intense um so you're going to probably be somewhat impressed then they do this colonel forbin song which is weird it's got very strange like rhythm rhythmic sensibilities and the the lyrics don't make a lot of sense unless you know the story. And then he tells us this little, tells a story. And then this beautiful music of Mockingbird. Just, oh, come on. And then, as I asked earlier, then Divided Sky. What'd you guys think of that one? Really pretty amazing version. <clears throat> very, very powerful. And just like, uh, yeah, I mean, amazing. Really representative of the time, I think, in the, Probably the excitement of building up to the toward the Halloween show was, I don't know. They seemed very well practiced, and I assume that's by having to learn the White Album front to back. But um, also, just that's just where they were at the time. So I don't know. This is a great representation of of where they were. Standard great, perhaps. Maybe which is not a knock. You know, Maybe it's it's yeah. a good one. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I tend to prefer Fall 94, Divided Skies, just the, the way the band sounds at the time. They're, there's not really any moments where they're going to branch out and try to bring in, you know, any sort of like key modulations. It's really just like as straightforward as you could possibly hope for with Divided Sky, but they're so on as a unit. I mean, at this point in time, they've played probably 100 shows this year, something like that. 
you know they record they put out an album yep. they play all these shows in the spring and the summer they take a reasonable break from mid-july to early october but during that time they're probably rehearsing and learning the white album while also starting to write new songs that would ultimately become billy breeds like this is just the time of the in fish's career where everything they did was fish and so a song like divided sky i don't think it's ever sounded better even though i love what they were doing with it throughout 95 96 97 like this is to me the pure sound of this song Yes, there's probably a misnote somewhere in this show, and maybe even in this divided sky. But really, nope. This is this is this is it. Um, if you if you look at the set list on Fishnet, you will you will see all of the flubs mentioned um, in comments and notations. So don't worry, um, don't worry. They were there and they were documented. <laughs> um, so the second set. Okay, so the first set is is you know standard fare. I think for the the end, the horse silent, poor heart cavern, great. And now a word from our friends at Shift Genuine Cannabis. What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts. Great show. Go back to it. But ripping. We have fun. to. We have to talk about the the second set. At least. At least we have to talk about the tweezer. But maybe maybe everything. Um, especially getting into the encore. But this tweezer is um. It's an interesting little journey of a of a tweezer. But you you're getting ahead of us. Because I just want to note. First of all, we get Julius here. We were looking for the voice songs, right? But the Yamar which is fine and good, but it has the um, Mike, I think it's Mike doing the uh, weird uh, Rasta shout chant thing that they don't do anymore, which is probably probably for the best. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> that's true. And in, that... in, these, in these modern times, but it is interesting to hear and uh, it's pretty cool. It's a good, good performance. 
And that leads into Mike going like on the in the lyrics, the the vocal part of Tweezer going crazy with his screaming. They're like they're 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 certainly excited to play it. And then Jonathan, the, I didn't, I don't, I think I, I mean I definitely had this tape at some point, but I had forgotten about that like few minutes of just beautiful bliss in the middle of that Tweezer, which is really cool. It seemed kind of like they found it and then they kind of went out of it pretty quickly. But that's a pretty awesome little segment. Yeah, this tweezer, it's funny, it, it's its short, like, by maybe modern standards or whatever, or average length, perhaps, you know, it's 12 minutes, it, it kind of rips, it's got that bit you described, and then they're done. I think nowadays, if somebody saw that, they'd be like, eh, yeah, a throwaway tweezer, but they'd be wrong, because every moment of this is edge of your seat, kind of great. Um, Brian, yeah. do you, you have a different opinion? I don't know. I mean, I I think it, it, it's interesting to me at the time. I think we're all just this is bad podcasting because we're all in agreement over how great this show is. It's just you know, no. You know but what? I changed my mind. It's I, awful. I, okay, I'll defend it now. No, um, <laughs> I guess the one you know thought I had when I listened to it is I I really wonder. I think that this is the last tweezer that's played before the banger version. And I really wonder kind of what's going through the band's head at this time when five days later they're going to come out and use this in the way that the song kind of seems obvious to us now, where the song part ends, if you want to call it a song. I kind of think of Tweezer as like the dumbest song that's ever been written and also one of the greatest songs that's ever been written. It's a riff and a couple of lines, and it's really only there for jamming purposes in a lot of ways. But at this time, if you look back over the previous two years, let's call it spring 92 as a starting point, Tweezer serves this purpose as the one moment of true improvisation in any show that it's played. But in every show it's played, it caps off maybe 12 to 14 minutes. And sometimes you'll get a fade into like a life boy. Sometimes you'll get a little bit of an extended jamming. You go into the previous summer, um, uh, summer 94, you've got that great version from UIC. But it's just interesting to me to think of this version that's played. And they're going to have some 12, 10, 13 minute versions to come over the next few months. But the vast majority of tweezers that are going to be played between now and the end of summer tour 1995 are like 25 to 50 minutes in length and just allow the band to go into open improvisation that they'd never been to before. So like, I almost think of this as like a goodbye to the tweezers of the previous few years where it served a purpose structurally doesn't get to where it's going to ultimately go, but like where it's going to ultimately go is this like total game changing moment for the band's career.
don't disagree with that. Um, that's an interesting way to look at it. And the the Bangor version, which obviously is from a live one, that's yeah, just a few days after. And probably if there was a multi-night Halloween run, you know, that would have been the. Now we've done the really complicated thing. Now let's just like have fun and start right. going out there. You know, which is pretty cool. Um, Jonathan, what this this so this set was cut cut short, and then the the encore is worth discussing. But what else from this second set? Contact, big black furry creature, down with disease, sweet out of line, all fine. Hang on, yeah, yeah. all of that. No, uh, contact's cool. Big black furry creatures. Uh, I'm a big fan. I want I want fish to inject madness into my life, into my night, into my uh, musical catalog, and herein they do that um, effectively. Um, it's not a it's not the most bizarre version of Big Black Furry Creatures in that all of them are at least a little bit. Um, but it's cool. And then Downward Disease is hot and intense. Like, I went back and listened to it again looking for, I don't know, signs of them, like, leaking out of the song. And they don't really do that, but they just shred, you know, like an eight and a half minute Downward Disease. And uh turns out that's really fun. Um, and yeah, then they do Sweet Adeline and probably would have come back, come out and, you know, done something else. But uh, according to the notes and Brian and I were talking about this top of the thing before we started recording, it's, um, the set is cut short. This, the set is like 49 minutes long on tape. Um, because I guess there was a miscommunication with somebody at the venue staff, according to what we have on Fishnet. They thought it was time to end. But worth noting also, there are a couple other shows this month that are shorter. So, you know, it's not crazy short. Um, I've noticed that but it's, yeah. with 94 shows, and I, and I don't have any, I don't know why it's this case, but like if you listen to 1992 and 1993, you're pretty much guaranteed somewhere between 22 and 26 songs a night. And each set reaches around 90 minutes. And there's no real break within each set for improvisation. You start to see this trend in 94 where the sets start to get a little bit shorter. And what it leads to ultimately is kind of, and this is just, you know, kind of observing it. Like you, 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 you start to see the band open up and expand a little bit more and not feel the need to play so many songs and not feel the need to play a Fishman song every single night or a bluegrass song in this slot. Or sometimes they don't even need to have a ballad. Like the closest thing to a ballad in this second set is Yamar and contact, which we wouldn't really consider. Those aren't really, they're kind of slower tempos, but um, yeah, it sounds like there was a, issue with the staff but it led to kind of one of those cool moments where the encore is just remarkable and one of the most listenable encores the band has ever played <laughs> i like that most listenable encore well you sometimes just get they come out they play one song they go away and you know you can hear it but like this is like a this feels like a mini set it feels like a statement in some cases Yeah, hey, what do you think about it rj yeah, I mean, according to the fish fishnet, um, just the jam chart r- notation, if you haven't heard this, you haven't heard the sickest version of this song in fish history. That is a bold statement. Um, it's a bold d- statement. D- it's definitely the longest version of this one particular song, but let's take it from the top, though, right? 
Slave. Everybody likes slave. Right? Slave can sometimes just be like a standalone encore. So you would think at this point in time that they're coming out and they're just playing it. However, I just want to make everybody wait. A little pregnant pause is important, particularly when we're talking about this one song, this next song. There's a song about a man. Yeah. and, and, And this guy, he, you know had some knowledge and Trey tells us about the knowledge, uh, in the song. Yes. How does he obtain the knowledge? Uh, well, you know, it's as many people do, um, pre-internet, um, from a, uh, a book. And uh, does he, is it an audio book? No, no, it's a book, you know, it was written by the man. The man. So, yeah. And, and it was handed down and then, the song was written about this man, this great and knowledgeable man. Sounds like a good biography. Yeah. yeah. This, this, um, I wonder if anyone's caught onto the shtick yet, Jonathan, do you think? Should we keep it going I, for I a while? I don't know. I don't know. We're, we, we could probably, uh, it's a good thing I, I can cut it down a little bit. <laughs> and, uh, just a little. Just a maybe, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I've always wanted course, to do that bit know, with a microphone in front of me, so I appreciate it. We haven't even finished the bit, and, so just keep it going. This, yeah, the song um, you know, that comes out of Slave to the Traffic Light, the, the next song in the encore, the, the three-song encore, is, uh, of course... And it's a cool one. <laughs> it's a cool Thank one. You. Trey, you know, Thank you for that. Gets a little Thank talk. That, Points back to, you know, the uh, the vibration of life. Uh, a little callback to that in there. And uh, and it's cool. And it and they play the little, you know, play the little bit and wrap it up. And you're like, well, that's a weird way to end a show. So they don't. Um, instead, they play Tweezer Reprise, of course, right? Because they played Tweezer. So we got to reprise it. Yeah. Um this one's special though. It's this one is I mean I, I feel like Tweezer Reprise is one of those songs that um I was at the Hartford version in 2010 where they played back-to-back Tweezer Reprises and then they would open the following show and close that show with Tweezer Reprise. I feel like it's one of those songs that um you can point to four three ninety eight where they just play it out of nowhere and then open the following night with Tweezer. Tweezer Reprise is one of those songs that like is such a fish in joke. And I wonder and I don't know this. I was not at fish shows in nineteen ninety four. You you two would know this better than I would. Was it as celebrated at this point in time or was it just felt like it was tacked on to the end of a show because they played Tweezer? Like how 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 has that song evolved? It was fun, and honestly, I'm not sure in 94, did I see, I didn't see a tweezer in 94, um, but I, I mean, I think it was expected. Right. But this one was, you know. This one has a little bit extra to any it. mustard, you know. Yeah. It was like the next year, I saw like standalone tweezer reprise with no tweezer, you know, and things got weirder. 
but uh but at this point um they just yeah they started goosing it up and uh <laughs> they get really long yeah yeah uh, no it's um I guess it's just interesting because, you know, you think about 1984 Fish and where these songs are developing. Like you were talking about um, Down With Disease earlier. Like Down With Disease is about to have a version played two weeks from now uh, in Ohio, Kent, Ohio, I believe, that's going to kind of push the boundaries of the song, going to have mercy, go back in a Down With Disease. Um, the following year, we're going to see two 25-plus minute versions, um, one of the greatest type one versions that has ever been played on December 1st, um, 1995 moving into 96, 97, it's going to become like the next incarnation of tweezer. Like I say that because like all these songs at this point in Fisher's career, like they're almost figuring out what are the songs that we need to bring with us. And a lot of songs are going to start falling out of the rotation and are going to be heard of maybe 25, 30 times between then and now, you know, set lists are going to shrink. New songs are going to come in more jamming is going to be introduced. And, you know, a song like it almost feels to me like when they're playing certain songs here, I don't think this is intentional at the time, but it's just happening as a result of circumstance. Certain songs are going to rise to the fore and they will continue with the band and certain songs won't. And obviously you know, tweezer reprise, we think of it now as a song that's just going to remain as a capstone on a show because they played tweezer, but there's an alternate universe where they just decided to like, okay, that was fun. We used to do that, but there's no reason to continue doing it. But you play a version like this and it almost seems to me like it clicks with the band. Like, wow, this song is not just an addendum to the tweezer that we played. Like this is a really, really, really fun song that we can figure out ways to screw around with where it's set listed or like we can cap off a show in this really bombastic way. Surprise actually serves a purpose. And I think maybe I've talked about it on the podcast before, but when they play Tweezer, they are opening the door. They're letting us into the freezer. They're exposing the universe to this energy. Totally. And it, we, it remains open until they play the reprise and close that door. It's a fair point. So Structurally important. It puts all of us at risk not to finish it at some point. Fair but it's a good risk. <laughs> I, I get it's it. It's a risk I'm willing to take. It's a, um, but it's, it's this, this one though, this one that they, 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 
they play it, it seems normal, but then they just kind of keep juicing it, keep going a little bit more, a little bit more, and just kind of an extended, drawn-out finish because they just, like, don't want to quit. But their momentum from the second set is over, you know, and I guess they're they're like, "Mm, I guess that's it. And, uh, you know, you feel like they want more. And, by the way, if you want more, just go to the next show because that Spartansburg show from the next night. Two nights later, 1029. You're right. uh, No, it's... But both... Sorry, I was looking at Charleston. Both of those, yeah. 1028 has, like, the crazy good David Bowie Manteca. um, And then the 1029, yes, it has just the, you know, has sparks just has sparks let's just say it has it 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 also has an antelope sleeping monkey antelope great melt uh, all those things it's just they are so wound up and um they're playing great they're playing just super great and it it just it they can't keep it in when they're just playing their uh, two-minute song so it stretches out to it the longest version ever yeah no you're right and and you know i think um I don't know. I just keep coming back to like this crux of where they're at in their career. And these four shows that lead up to Halloween, the Boone, Charlottesville, Charleston, and Spartanburg. Um, I would love to be a fly on the wall and go back to see what both the band and the fan base were like during those four shows, because to this point in time, they've played multiple tours. They've had big shows before, you know, where, a year and change removed from the biggest attended show that they've ever played at great woods. We're close to a year from this really historic and monumental new year's Eve run in, uh, Worcester and, um, Portland, as well as, uh, other East coast cities. Um, they've played Amy's farm. They've played, they've gone, they've played open for Santana. They've played their Colorado shows like fish has made uh, memorable historic moments leading up to this point. It's why people in fall 94 are following the band around. It's why Trey says for all those of you who were in Boone last night, like people start cheering. Cause there's a lot of people that drove from Boone to see them. They have a dedicated fan base, but they're about to play a show that is going to go down as probably one of their best five to 10 shows that they've ever played and never will play it's a huge achievement from a musical standpoint, from an artistic standpoint and the first and third sets outside of the white album absolutely kick ass. Like it's some of the best performances you could ever hear of some of the best fish songs ever written. And it goes on until like what, two or three o'clock in the morning. I mean, it's just, it's insane and it's going to four hours of music. It's four hours of music. It's, It's crazy. And like you could, I don't know. And then they're going to come out of that and they're going to sound like a completely new band for the next eight weeks. Like I just think of these shows leading up to it as such a, I'm a big proponent of, you know, there's no such thing as like the, the singular show that changes everything. There's a lot of little bits that lead up to those big shows, but you, you'd have a hard time finding four shows that lead up to a bigger moment at this point in Fisher's career, you know, pre-1995 than this, where it's just like energy and excitement and the band is firing on all cylinders. And in some cases, you can hear all of that in this tweezer reprise. Just like, let's let it go and let's just see what happens and magic comes out of it. 
I think now at this point, we've talked about the whole show. You've may actually given us some really great context, and uh, that was awesome. I think we should just take a minute and recognize that one of the reasons we picked this show is because because of its placement as the lead into Halloween, as we go into our short two-week fall tour in 2021, leading right into Halloween, um, will we get a, a tweezer reprise to match this one? I don't know. But um, hopefully we'll get some interesting stuff, high energy from the band, because they're excited about what they're doing, what's to come, and uh, I know we all will be. We are, and I want to ask you to play a losing man's game. Do you have any thoughts, any ideas, any wishes for Halloween? Actually, okay, so uh, no, but yes. <laughs> um, I, I have no serious guesses about what Fish is going to play. So I will start with that. Mm -hmm. I have for years and surely on this podcast in the past said, I would like to hear them play Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. If only side one, because that would be amazing. Funeral for a Friend and A Love Lies Bleeding would just be phenomenal. And, you know, they could just cover that on one of the other nights. That would be cool, just that, that pairing. Um, but I was listening a couple weeks ago, two weeks ago, we were – Making some beer, bottling some beer, actually, and uh, was listening to Tumbleweed Connection, and Amarina's on that, Burn Down the Mission, and uh, and I'm not the massive Elton John fan, despite the fact that I've just dropped two of the albums in my list here, but I think that would be amazing. and uh, Or the band's Brown album, which is the thing mm -hmm. I put on right after uh, Tumbleweed Connection that mm -hmm. night, because I was just going for the big stuff. So um, that's kind of the things I'd like I'd like to hear them do across the Great Divide you know or look out Cleveland again and stuff like that but uh, maybe they could you know really nail it this time um, what about you Brian do you have any uh, you want to put some money on the table I don't um, I Smart. learned that the last time I was in Vegas just just hang out just to keep your money um, I kind of share so I was thinking about this though, because obviously part of the reason that we are talking about a singular show that happened almost 30 years ago, 27 years ago, 27 years ago, is that we think about this band a lot. Um, you know, I think that they have pushed the envelope of the new album cover for Halloween as far as it will go. I don't know how much further that they would go than inventing a band that created an album on an ice field in Greenland. However, walking into Vegas 2018, I had no idea that they even had that creativity up their sleeves. So they're probably going to surprise us in that sort of manner. Um, I think my wish would be for either like a classic rock album, like you're talking about kind of in the, in the, in the, the realm of, of Bowie's, um, Ziggy Stardust, where obviously that was a tribute in a lot of cases to to Bowie, but it was also like, don't you kind of just want to hear Fish play a classic rock album for ninety minutes? Like, what's that? That's a great thing. I, I was thinking if there's if there's a way for them to kind of combine what they have been doing recently with the original intention of these cover albums, it would be very cool to hear them play something from the twenty first century. I don't have a good guess of what that would be. Um, you know, they, there were original thoughts that they were going to play kid a 
back in 2009. Um, but I think it would be really cool to hear them interpret something that's a little bit more modern, maybe a little bit more challenging from a listener standpoint. Uh, either that or you mentioned the bands, the Brown album. Uh, there were a lot of rumors going around. I think Trey mentioned this in Rolling Stone in summer 2003, maybe at some point in 2003, that they were considering doing a Halloween show that year. And if they did it, they were going to do the basement tapes. And that is a total dream album for me. I would love to hear them invent, uh, reinvent their sound around that sort of, um, you know, that sort of Americana sound. I would love to hear that, that impact that that had on them. So I think that that would be like the dream album for me. I would freak out about every single one of those songs. I would have intense jealousy for my wife who will be in the room while I'm at home hanging out with the kids, um, in the best way possible. But yeah, I guess like when it comes down to it, there are so many new songs to put in the rotation right now that writing a new album to fit in 10 to 12 new songs seems like a lot at this point in time. But I loved Kaz Vote Vox and I loved Chillin' Thrilling. I loved the wingsuit concept. I loved the way that they challenged their fans in that way. Like, I'm happy with whatever they do um, while kind of thinking at this point in time, throwing out a new cover album could be a really cool way to celebrate where they're at right now. Obviously, you know, I cited the band, the basement tapes would be phenomenal. I mean, the material in that is so good. It's so varied. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, from some of my favorite players of all time. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, I'll be there. I don't know what they're going to play. I don't care what they play. They could just come out and just play a three set show and not do a costume. And I would be okay with it. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I know somebody would complain, but I think Lots they charge more complain. for the ticket for that <laughs> night. So, um, they're, they're planning to do something and I'm sure it'll be great. And, uh, I can't wait. Plus we get all this other music that's coming up before it. So, you know, there's, there's a lot a lot of cool ass stuff to come. Yeah. We've got a whole West coast run that, um, should be really fantastic fish in October in California and in the Southwest. I had been wanting all year to make this trip happen for myself. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to San Francisco. I'm going to Phoenix, Chula Vista and LA and then I'm going to fly home. My wife is going to fly out, go see the Vegas shows. So collectively, we'll be together seeing a lot of this tour. I'm really happy that she gets four shows solo, gets away from the kids for about half a week. Um, I'm really happy that I'll get to kind of do Halloween with the kids and, and get that experience. But also, I wanted to do a drive across the desert, see a bunch of fish shows in kind of unnamed places where, where fish doesn't really play that often. And when they do, the show results are mixed. I'm excited to see kind of what that vibe on this tour leading up to Halloween has, has for fish. I feel like I could be walking into either a couple really classic shows or just having an awesome solo road trip across the Southwest. Maybe both. Um, potentially both. Here's hoping, here's hoping for both. I'm happy with whatever. It's just awesome. Yeah. Safe travels as you, I knew, as you head out to San Francisco and um, represent the team and the live event. Let's, can we, should we recap those real quick? There's uh, going to be one at 4 p.m. on Saturday in San Francisco, right outside the venue. Um, you and RJ and Benji and a special guest. Special guest. Special guest. Yes. All right. Um, 
And then we'll be doing two more in high, in Vegas at Brooklyn Bowl on the 30th and the 31st. We'll have more details and all that stuff. And I think I'll be at the 31st one. Um, got plans on the 30th, though. Sorry. Uh, but hey, what are you going to do? Uh, we should thank our sponsors again, too, probably, right? Shift Genuine Cannabis, who have uh, been there for us, keeping HFPod on tour. We are very grateful for Shift. It's the only reason that you and I got to hang out at one point this year. And uh, who knows? Maybe they'll be the only reason that we'll be able to hang out uh, next year. Who knows? But at some point, we're going to be able to catch our second fish show together. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, in the meantime, uh, I guess uh, that'll do it for us today. So till next time. Enjoy, enjoy fall tour, everyone. place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office more than once actually do i have to say yes you do in the car before my kids pta meeting really yes excuse me what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky i never win and tell well there you have it you can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com play for free right now are you feeling lucky no purchase necessary void prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal the Man, to Fat Mike from No Effects, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media.